Mac Power Users, episode 609. Sir, please get out of the e-waste. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Mr. Stephen Hackett? I'm I'm good. That felt very formal. Yes, the tempo was a little off today. Yeah, but maybe that's maybe all we good. could have like trumpets behind me as I entered or something. Speaking of trumpets, we also have a guest with us for at least a little bit of today's show. Welcome in, Rosemary Orchard. Hey, thanks for having me again, you two. Yeah, Rose is, you know, on the MPU team, of course. She's the person that keeps the forums clean and happy and free of terrible people. So I uh, I like having Rose on the show anytime we can get her on. She's also the co-host of the Automators podcast with me. So good seeing you lots again, of, Rose. Lots of automation fun. Yes. Uh, but uh, we are the Mac Power Users today, and it is time for a feedback episode. We have so much feedback. I just can't get over how much we get in a month. But uh, we got some of the choicest morsels out today. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about because Apple's been making some changes we want to catch you up on. Uh, but we're going to... Um, uh, uh, oh, also, Stephen, congratulations on getting through September. Feeling all right, man? Yeah, I'm feeling great. Uh, we the, the two of you don't know this in real time, but by the time this episode comes out, you'll know. That we broke seven hundred thousand dollars. So, oh my goodness, we that are just blown away. Uh, it, I, I really have been speechless over how this campaign has gone. So, thank you all for donating and supporting St. Jude. And uh, yeah, it's. I would take some time off and sleep, but I have uh, a lot of calendars to pack and ship. So, rolling straight yeah. into that. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. You can you can rest when you're dead. That's right. Uh, I suppose. Uh, Maybe you need a calendar to plan these things out on Steven so you don't have so many things going on. You know, in hindsight, moving to, you know, my new studio space and doing the St. Jude thing, which is is already always set in September, that's set in stone. Mm -hmm. But then iPhone event and doing my first Kickstarter, like all at the same time, may have been a little ambitious, but, you know, things are going to get shipped on time, and it's it's going really well. My studio looks like a warehouse because it's basically just a warehouse now full of boxes and, like, shipping things. But, hey, that that's yeah. okay. <laughs> Better keep one of those calendars and stick it on the wall, though, so you can use it for planning next year. There you go. And it's some beautiful artwork in that calendar. Uh, but either way, enough about calendars and things. Uh, on more power users today, uh, Stephen and I uh, have been working a lot with Monterey, which we think is getting closer to release. We have thoughts. We're going to talk about that on more power users today. Uh, but the reason Rose is here is because she told me a few days ago that she did something that I don't know anybody else has done this. Rose, what have you done? Uh, I switched to a custom domain with iCloud Mail. So my my personal domain is running through Apple right now, which is... um. Well, something not a lot of people have done by the looks of it. A lot of people are curious, but not many people have made the jump yet. Yeah, so Apple added this feature. Like if you own your own custom domain, historically, you'd have to go to a third-party service like uh, Fastmail or Hover and, and you know buy an IMAP account and and hook it up to your email, or you could connect it you know, through Google to a Google domain. But now Apple's in the game. If you've got an iCloud account, you can connect your personal domain like uh, maxbarkey.com or rosemaryorchard.com. And you can connect that to iCloud 
And uh, th- like Rose was saying, this is a brand new feature. And uh, when I heard that you did it, I said, we have to get you on MPU. We got to talk to the audience about this because I think a lot of people are curious about it, but I don't think many people have done it. Yeah. And it is something that I know a lot of people are curious about, especially a lot of the people in the forum. They are um, using, uh, they've got personal domains or they're looking at using personal domains or switching away from Gmail, um, you know, Google seeing everything, you know, is maybe not what people are so keen on anymore. Yeah. Um, and so they're they're looking for alternatives. And this, you know, seems to have come around at the right time for the more privacy conscious person who maybe isn't yet willing um, to splash out lots of cash. It's part of uh, an, an Apple One uh, subscription or iCloud Plus, actually, specifically. Sorry, I should have said um Apple One, I believe, includes iCloud Plus, but iCloud Plus doesn't include Apple One. This services <laughs> game that they're they're playing is so confusing for me. Oh, uh, can I just interrupt there for a second? W- we are almost at two gigabytes in my family, and there are a bunch of articles on the internet saying that I can buy an additional two gigabytes on top of an Apple One account. You mean two terabytes, right? I'm sorry. Yes, two terabytes. I misspoke. All right, so <laughs> four people <laughs> taking pictures cameras getting bigger storage filling up and i thought well i'll just buy another two terabytes and i for the life i spent like 10 minutes trying to figure it out the other day and there's i couldn't figure it out i gotta like start over again and um and figure this out but apparently there is some way that i can give apple money and they can give me an additional two terabytes on top of that so we would have a total of four but apparently they're that is not they don't want to make it easy Hmm. but yeah anyway yeah, it is buried. There is a, a support article, which I can give you a link to, um, so that um, maybe we can link that in the show notes for people. Um, but it's 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 not the easiest thing to find. Anyway, well, thanks for doing my tech support for me, Rose. But, <laughs> well, but we're actually here to talk about email. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it is all linked together, isn't it? Because Apple announced this iCloud Plus stuff, and part of this is the custom domain names for the emails. Um, and so, you know, going in to set it up, um, it, it used to only be a beta iCloud feature, um, and, and now it's available on regular iCloud. And I waited until it was available on regular iCloud because... I get a lot of email. Um, this should not be surprising to people, but I, I get a lot of email. Um, and so I, I have a low risk tolerance for things going completely and utterly wrong, but equally I'm plenty tacky enough that, you know, if if I, you know, only lose a day's worth of emails because I end up switching either back or to something else at the end of the day um, because it hadn't worked, I, I figured that was fine. So I picked a day that was a low email day for me historically, Sundays, and I, I went from there. Um, but yeah, so I had to log in um, to to iCloud.com to set this up. Um, and that's where all of the, the settings and everything are. And there was a little option there that said, hey, do you want to set up a custom domain name? Um, and that's what I did. I followed the instructions. Um, you do need to have two-factor authentication enabled. So for anybody that doesn't have two-factor authentication enabled, which I think is almost impossible now um, for, your, for your Apple ID, then you'll need to turn that on first. Um, and you need to have an iCloud email address because uh, everything kind of lands in that, um, even though, you know, you you have one inbox, basically. Um, and you can yeah, have... Yeah, th- that's what I was going to ask. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I we'll, we'll talk about our, our setups. I'm not particularly interested in doing this myself, but having it all land in one inbox is not what I would want. I would want to be able to have... And I guess you could do this. I guess you could set up, like, another iCloud account and then tie that domain to it, but... This isn't letting you, 
really have two accounts, right? It's two no. addresses, but they end up in one place. Yeah, well, actually, you can have lots of addresses um, with, with your domain name. It's not an unlimited number, um, but you can have a lot of them. Um, and so they, But they all do come into one place. And that was actually one of the things um, that made me decide to switch because I historically had uh, three email inboxes on my domain. And I realized that really the lines that I thought originally when I drew them were very, very clear cut really weren't. So for example, anything that was people looking for me, I would use, um, you know, one one handle. And then for things that were businesses like Amazon and stuff, I'd use contact at rosemaryorchard.com. That was the email address on my website. And then I had a third one as well. Um, and the problem was, is, okay, so I've got a service, GitHub, but people look for me on GitHub. So I need to use my personal handle. And it got very, very blurred. Um, and so that was one of the reasons why I said, you know what, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to nuke this and have everything land in one place um, because, you know, I, I I needed to clear up my email inbox. It had got very out of hand and I took the nuclear approach with that. And just to be clear, this uh, transfer is not difficult, but it is not trivial either. Um, if you did it the way most email service providers work, you've got to go to your, um, wherever you bought your domain and change some DNS records yeah. You just, just got to be very careful. It, it takes about, if you've never done it before, it'll take you a half hour. If you've done it before, it's yes. 15 minutes. But but you need to get those records set right because that's telling the internet where the email goes. Yes. Um, and um, even if it only takes you five minutes to set the records, you do need to wait for a while for those changes to work their way through the internet so that Apple can actually see them on their end. Um, because that was a problem. I had copied it exactly as uh, Apple had shown me in the pop-up at the end, once I'd, I'd gone through and, and, you know, checked off all the boxes and everything. And there was an errant space in there. And I looked at it and I thought, I don't think that there should be a space in here. I think somebody's put a typo in there. Um, and I put it exactly as it was and sat and I waited. And then eventually it came back and said, ah, there's a problem with this record. I checked the email they sent me for the settings and that was correct. Um, so uh, pro tip for people, uh, they will email you all the settings that you need to set up with um, your whoever you bought your domain through. Um, and, and that's the email that you want to use or that's the information you want to use um, to get that information because otherwise uh, there are very least for me I did report this as a bug it might have been fixed since then um, there there was an errant space that caused me a little bit of a headache so you do have to sit and wait for a while to to let all of that go through and, and this isn't permanent if you try it out and it doesn't work for you you can change the DNS records back to some other service and then you get off the iCloud train I, I did the same thing I did an experiment with Hey for a couple months earlier this year and then gave up on it and I switched my DNS records and put everything back. So it, it, I guess I would say if you're afraid to do this, like it's permanent, it's not. Yeah, exactly. But it's kind of permanent. Cause then what are you going to do with all the old email records from the other accounts after you switch the, uh, the DNS? Well, what I did is, um, I used mail.app. Um, and so I signed into mail.app with um, both the old, I was using G Suite before, that's Google's hosted um, domains. Um, so I signed into all of the accounts there and then I signed into the iCloud account. Um, and even though I didn't have email going to G Suite, I still had the accounts there. Okay, the accounts for, for people who aren't sure, they will still exist for you. Um, and so then once things have been set up, um, I grabbed everything from the inbox in each of the other accounts and I dragged it into the archive, waited for that to go through, and then I moved one archive at a time over. So I threw it all in iCloud. 
It took a while. At one point, it got stuck on something like 7,277 emails out of 10,094. Um, and it had been sat there for a good 20 minutes or so. And I just killed mail, reopened it, and it went boom and just kept going. So, um, yeah, it was just a case of command A to select all, drag, drop, and uh, wait. Patience is a virtue, and you will definitely need some here. And then when you were done, you had the advantage of having all of your email in with one service provider, iCloud. Yeah, um, which, you know, um, has advantages and disadvantages. Um, some, maybe maybe more of some than the other. Um, it's, it's not perfect. Well, how, how is it working? I mean, I mean, I'm getting all of my email. That, that's a start, right? Everybody okay. needs well, to know that good. they're actually getting all of their email. Um, so, um, you know, uh, that that's happening. Um, I have to say spam filtering seems to be pretty good. Um, I, it historically was absolutely terrible. Um, but nowadays seems to be pretty good. Um, but I am struggling a little bit with the rules approach. So if you log into iCloud.com and click on the mail and then go into the settings there, you can set up rules for when messages land in your inbox. Um, but if you do a similar thing with Google, and I'm going to use them as the example because they were who I was with before, and they have incredibly powerful rules, with Google, you can set multiple conditions and multiple actions. So you can say, if I get any email from David Sparks um, that contains the word automators, I want you to, um, I don't know, star it um, and um, forward it to this other email address. Just an example. Well, to do that with um, Apple, well, with iCloud, you, you can't. You have to do that in mail.app, which means that you have to wait for the email to appear on your machine mm -hmm. and then for the stuff to happen, um, which, you know, it has advantages and disadvantages because those rules can then apply to any email accounts that I have instead of just iCloud email accounts. But I can't have two conditions and I definitely can't have two actions, which has led to me looking at some alternative options such as Integromat, which can log in via IMAP to your email account and watch for things. Um, but that's, you know, that that's really not a, a very sensible approach. Um, I was using that only because I needed to convert um, an email into about eight different things. Um, and that that was the best way of doing it. But that's not something that I could recommend for most people. Now, if you already have all your rules set up in mail.app, well, everything's just good to continue working. That's perfect. You know, there'll be no change as far as you're concerned. Um, yeah. But if, like me, you had a lot of email rules set up, it, on, on the server side, then you 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 you're going to struggle there. Because one thing that the the mail app rules are dependent on is like having a Mac running with mail open all the time, right? And not a lot of people have access to that. So that that is something that I know can can trip people up. Of you know your laptop is closed, but you're on your phone. Well, those rules aren't being applied because mail on the Mac is not processing them. Exactly, and I am fortunate. I, I have an always on Mac mini. It's the automator in me that insists on having an always on Mac mini for doing various things like running Hazel rules and, and stuff like that. Um, but um, most people don't. And even though I have that running, I still get notifications about email that I then don't see later when I go into my email inbox because mails process them, but it didn't process them fast enough hmm. to stop me seeing that notification on my phone, even though my phone is some, getting emails somewhat slowly. I, I was previously for a little while using the Gmail um, app with, um, with G Suite. And of course, you then get instant notifications or near instant notifications with that. And uh, 
it's it's not a problem for me to get notifications a little bit slower, but I am definitely noticing, you know, I'll get a notification about an email that I've got 15 minutes ago, um, which, you know, is just Apple doing whatever Apple thinks is best. Yeah, I think in the laws of the universe, one of them is that Gmail will always have much better online rule support than Apple Mail. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't <laughs> think Apple even has any interest in like making it better. It's been the same way forever and it has never changed. Uh, and what someone from Apple would probably tell you is, hey, we got all these great rules in app, which is true. And in some ways better because I can like run an Apple script on an email. Mm-hmm. And there's there's automation things I can do that I could not do with cloud automation, but it requires you to have a Mac running. So you got to kind of choose your poison there. But like someone like Rose, who has a bunch of online based automation, I think this is a real sacrifice because like all of that online, all of those online um, tools, uh, email tools work great with with uh, Google and they don't really work that well with iCloud because, you know, Apple is more about security and less about online tools. Yeah. And generally, ironically, despite the fact that they have Apple script and automator and shortcuts, not gr- that great at automation um, because yeah. the, it, it, it just, you know, isn't as good, which is a real shame because as a service, it feels like it's working really well. There are some caveats. There are no catch-all emails, for example. So you can't say, hey, anything that comes to this domain, I want it to land in this inbox. That just doesn't exist on in, in the Apple world, um, which I understand from an anti-spam point of view. But equally, um, I have previously freaked out many a business um, by going, yeah, my email is your business name at rosemaryorchard.com. And then going, wait, what? Are you impersonating us? No, no. This is just how the internet works. I can, you know, use that as the handle. And then I know when you sell my email um, to a spam list that it was you that did that. Um, so, you know, they, you can easily block it, but you can't do that unless you go ahead and set it up in advance with iCloud. You can set up aliases, um, but it's, you know, it, it it's not the same as having a catch-all where just everything works. Yeah, agreed. So you've got it running. Uh, you're not happy with the rules. You're happy with the stability, though. Yes. Uh, how is it going with the single inbox? Single inbox is working very well for me, I have to say. Uh, it does mean trying out new email apps is much easier. So I've been trying out a lot of different apps. I'm primarily using uh, Mail.app on iOS, but um, I'm trialing out Canary um, at the moment, Um just because it's it's an app. I've owned it for quite a while and I used it previously because of the PGP key support um, for security when I had to send some some encrypted stuff backwards and forwards with some people that I was, um, you know, I had some debug data on my machine and, you know, it was relatively sensitive. So we used that as an option and that works um, on iOS. PGP keys otherwise aren't supported really on iOS, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but it, it, it you know, I, I don't necessarily have the separation, but equally I was finding that separation wasn't really a real thing. It was somewhat in my head and not really in reality, which was a bit of a shame. Um, but there wasn't really a way I could force that to happen in reality either. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with the single inbox. 
All right. So while we while we're there, Rose, what is your current email stack? I have to admit, I'm a little surprised to hear that you're using Apple Mail because I know in the past you've tried to you've been using a lot of different apps for mail. Yeah. Right? Well, I decided if I'm going stock, I I was going stock all the way. So I'm currently using uh, Mail App on Mac and Mail App on my iPhone. Um, and one casualty of this is I was previously using AirMail as my my iOS email application. Um, and on the Mac, I was using uh, MimeStream for G Suite accounts, and then I had a couple of IMAP accounts in in Mail. Um, but um, the, uh, what what what's happened is I've switched to mail, and this has meant that I've had to change all my shortcut sections. Of course, David, um, yeah. because I have shortcut sections to send email. They were previously using AirMail. That obviously doesn't work anymore unless I also leave AirMail installed and I set it up with the email accounts. So I am currently going through and switching all of those to the mail action. But this is going to be better because then whatever application I land on using in the future those shortcuts will still work. Um, that is the beauty of having, you know, a built-in option there. And I can just leave the account signed in and disable notifications if I do want to change away from the mail app. Yeah, I generally find the shortcut support for Apple Mail is pretty good and it has the tools I need. Uh, are you bumping into anything missing that you'd like to have? Um, I mean, it would be better if the uh, on receipt of email could just run automatically, that shortcuts action in particular. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, you know, it, it, it's good and I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, and you know, I, I do miss MimeStream on macOS. It was a very good, um, application. It's essentially mail for Google accounts or G Suite accounts. Um, but it, you know, it was just better. Um, and I'm, I'm not quite sure how exactly it was better, but it, it really is. Um, and I, I do miss that. But aside from that, it, it's pretty good. How about you, Stephen? What uh, just as a quick check in? Where where are you on email these days? Yeah, I, I do keep uh, work and personal email separate, so I have a personal account and then two work accounts. They're all Gmail. The two work accounts are Google Workspace or G Suite or whatever it's called this week, and uh, I've been really happy with that. The server side rules are critical for me, and so mm-hmm. even considering iCloud is like not. It's not in the cards. Uh, and I used it for years. I just kind of outgrew what its rules could do. And I'm, I'm glad, Rose, to hear that the spam filtering is better because for a long time it yes. was garbage. So I'm glad they've gotten their act together there. Uh, as far as applications uh, on the Mac, I'm using MimeStream. Uh, I've talked about this before on the show, but I've moved to it full time. I really like it. Really lightweight. It supports a bunch of, you know, kind of weird Google stuff. And oddly enough, one of my favorite features is that I have a bunch of, especially in my work accounts, I have a bunch of folders and the way their sidebar is laid out, I can see them all without having to scroll because they use this more compact view in the sidebar. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a nice touch. And then uh, on iOS and iPadOS, it is a mail.app for better or for worse. Yeah. I mean, mail, it's really easy to beat up on mail.app, but you know, it sends the email, it receives the email, it doesn't lose the email. <laughs> and so many of these third-party apps fail at that level. So um, I'm using Mail App too. I, I did have a, a brief a little dalliance with, uh, with the Hey system and tried it out. But it just, the problem for me was automation. Like I like to automate and a web-based service just didn't give me the automation that I wanted. And uh, but I'm working good with with Apple Mail, and uh, I've got uh, the one thing I do on top of it is Sanebox, which is a, a sponsor, blah blah blah. But they um, 
they do a really good job of like adding cloud rules kind of to my 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 more vanilla mail setup. So a lot of it's taken care of for me in the sandbox cloud. I'd recommend Rose you try that at some time. I think that might help you. Yeah, I previously struggled with it because I had so many inboxes um, and just trying to train things. And then I sometimes wanted to move stuff between accounts and so on. And it, it got very messy. So I should definitely try that out again at some point. Yeah, now that you've simplified it, it actually may work better for you. But I find that really helps. And I do use Apple Mail rules. Um, the, the one There's two developments on Apple Mail I thought I'd share real quick. One is I have kind of given up on tagging in Apple Mail because Apple doesn't seem like they're ever going to support it. And like mail tags is great, but then every year we hit this weird time where it doesn't work for several months when the operating system updates. And I've just decided I'm going to make it simpler. So now I just have an Apple script I wrote that saves a permanent link to the selected message. I, uh, I think it's command K that I use to, uh, um, to copy that link. And then I embed the link where it belongs, you know, like whether it be obsidian or an OmniFocus task or a calendar item. So um, I, rather than a- applying tags to emails, I have lists of emails uh, on relevant projects that I can click and, and one click get to them. So that's kind of the way I'm handling that now. And those links work both on Mac, iPhone, and iPad because the links work across platform, which is better than like the mail tag system, which only worked on the Mac. So I'm actually in a pretty good place. And then the other thing I'm thinking about mail, I'm seriously considering, though I haven't done yet, is just turning the Mac Sparky inbox over to my virtual assistant. I haven't done that. I've never had the guts to do that, but... Um, you know, I get busy working on projects and then sometimes like a customer support email will come in that I don't see for a whole day. And I was thinking maybe if I have somebody else also nosing around in this inbox, things will get handled faster. So that is a, um, that is a different kind of automation. <laughs> yes. That's not really something that you can do so well with iCloud. I mean, you can absolutely give somebody the, uh, the password or an application specific password to access your inbox, but yeah. you certainly couldn't set them up with their own email account unless you add them to your iCloud family. They don't want businesses using this. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. Like for instance, with my, with Max Sparky, I have an email from my assistant that, you know, it's assistant MX Barkey and she gets email that I don't see there. And then I've got a whole bunch of, I use um, hover for mine and I've got a whole bunch of forwards and automatic things I'm doing. And, and I bought a bunch of forwarding addresses, which are not very expensive. And so like, if you send something to like gift at maxbarkey.com, it goes to somebody, if you want to buy a gift of a field guide and, um, none of that stuff would work with iCloud. So I that's not an option for me either. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to set up two rules per forwarding address and set up the forwarding addresses so that when the forwarding address, uh, for, when an email to the forwarding address landed in your inbox, the first rule would forward it, the second rule would probably delete the email. Um, and then you have to hope that the email, the rules run in the right order for that, which just sounds like a very wonky system and not great. So... <laughs> Well, either way, Rosemary Orchard, you are the canary in the coal mine so yep. often for all of us. So it makes perfect sense to me that you'd be the first one down this this coal mine, <laughs> making <laughs> sure. So it sounds like it's working, but you don't like all the features. But uh, no, that's good to no. know as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm happy that I've tried it. I'll probably give it a month or so and then switch to something like FastMail um, just because they also offer um, the uh, hosted email service and they've got um, the 1Password integration for um, the addresses per service, which sounds pretty nice. Yeah, but I, I don't think you'll find anything that has online rules like Gmail, though. That's the one no, thing. No, I don't want. think I will. But equally, I do have an always on Mac Mini. I'm setting up my rules right now. Um, we, we'll see what happens there because if I can set things up so that things work in a way that really does work for me, then, you know, I'll be happy. In the meantime, things aren't badly broken. So I'm good with that. Rose, before you leave, tell everybody all the cool stuff you're doing on the internet, because I know you are one busy lady right now. Uh, well, as well as hosting Automators with you, I also host uh, iOS Today with Micah Sargent over on the Twit Network. Um, and I host Nested Folders, a productivity podcast with Scotty Jackson. Um, and, uh, aside from that, I have, uh, two books, build your OmniFocus workflow, which will be updated for OmniFocus 4 when OmniFocus 4 gets here. Um, and I'm currently in the process of updating, take control of shortcuts. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed, uh, Apple don't break Monterey future in, yeah. or more in the future rather. <laughs> in theory. <laughs> and then, uh, and then your website is rosemaryorchard.com, right? Yes, yes, it is. And you can find links to uh, all the social media and everything there as well. But if you just want to at me on Twitter, it's Rosemary Orchard. Thanks, Rose. All right. Well, thank you and have a lovely rest of the show. This episode of MPU is made possible by 1Password, the application I trust to keep all of my passwords safe, secure, but easily accessible wherever I am. You've probably heard about 1Password's new Safari extension, Y'all, it is a game changer. No more fiddling in the share sheet to pull up 1Password or relying on autofill. It is the full 1Password experience right in Safari on iOS and iPadOS 15. And to me, it's really emblematic of everything that makes 1Password great. Staying on top of the latest technologies, you can use things like Touch ID and Face ID to access not only your passwords, but your secure notes, your software licenses, bank account information, everything that you need to keep safe and secure. With 1Password for families and 1Password for teams, you can create and share this information with coworkers and the important people in your life all very easily and simply. It works across a wide range of browsers and devices, of course. 1Password is just where I turn to keep information secure and safe. So head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU to learn more, and you can sign up for a free 30-day trial. After that trial, you'll get 20% off. Again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU. Our thanks to 1Password for their ongoing support of the show. Okay, so Stephen, there was some other news and updates from Apple that I think we should probably talk about, and that's the iWork updates. Yeah, we did an iWork episode about a month ago, and Apple has since come out with some some pretty nice updates. And what's cool about iWork, I don't think we mentioned it in the in the episode, but Apple has has really gotten pretty good at updating it, usually about once a year. And for the most part, the features come to Mac and iOS at the same time. That's not true of everything. This time, we're going to get into at what I think is the biggest feature, and it is Mac only. But I think it makes sense being on the Mac first. Uh, so these uh, these new updates came out at the end of September. And in, uh, well, the most important thing is the icons are way better because the icons, yeah. at least on the Mac before, were really bad. They're much better yeah. now. It's 
good news. In fact, I think that came up in the show last month when we talked about it. I really disliked it. them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're much better now. Uh, so in Keynote, you can now have your webcam and device screen captures as objects on slides. So you could have your notes on your slide and then you could have your webcam and you're like live embedded in your slide. Uh, yes. This, I think, opens the world to a lot of possibilities. The first thing I thought of in our current environment is, and I think you and I have both given keynote presentations over Zoom, and it's kind of tricky because like you're sharing your screen and I've had to use two devices and and now I could just have like my face in the slide if I wanted to and not have to worry about a you know multiple setups of trying to get my camera and my screen sharing routed into Zoom or whatever. And yeah. because it's an object, you can crop it and transition it and layer it. Like all the stuff you can do with other objects, you can apply to live video. Yeah, you can bring it in and out. And like you can have multiple objects. Like your device can be on the screen and then you can fade that out and fade your face in. Or if you have pre-recorded video, you can run that, but then put your live face on top of it. And I mean, this is clearly a COVID resulting feature because when you were just using keynote to show up in a room and stand in front of a group of people, this was not necessary, but now it's hugely necessary. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into some of the other, the other sort of, I think COVID uh, features here in a second, but the other part of this, I think it is really interesting. I thought about you, like I thought, I thought this is the sparky feature where you can have your uh, device like screen shared into your slide. So if you were giving yeah. a presentation about shortcuts, instead of if you want to do something live, maybe you're taking a Q and A and like you were to build shortcuts live or something, you could just screen share your iPhone onto your slide as opposed to trying to like figure out some other way to do it. And that I think is is pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean historically the way you would do it is change inputs or have a different projector app on your Mac. And then you go through this really goofy process of like stopping the presentation, opening a different app or pushing a button to switch inputs. And it was very awkward, you know, and if you want a presentation that, that really flows nicely and you're talking tech or even if you're just showing something like I was thinking um, for trial lawyers, there's there's this great app for the iPad called TrialPad that allows you to display your exhibits and highlight them and do a bunch of cool stuff. But what if you're giving a closing argument and you wanted to just have trial pad drop into an object inside your keynote um, closing statement? You can do that now. And, you know, when you're standing in front of a jury, the last thing you want to do is do awkward app shifts and things like that. So mm -hmm. this is just a really nice feature. And the funny thing is, this is one of those features I it had never occurred to me that this was even a possibility. You know what I mean? I've used, yeah. I use Keynote all the time and I've always just like got around this problem with hacky, you know, manual solutions. But as soon as I saw this announcement, I'm like, yes, I needed this a long time ago and I didn't even realize it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It yeah. does not include device frames. And so your iPhone screen is just kind of floating, but you could, you could design your own and kind of space it all out. But I'd like to see them add that in the future. But it's an object. So you could put a device frame on the screen 
And then you could put the object for the video display underneath the frame. The trick is set in the order. So you put the frame on top of the video and you can actually, you can totally fake this a little extra work though. Yeah. It'd be cool if it was just like a checkbox. Yeah. Agreed. The, the other COVID feature of keynote is I'm sure Apple hates people referring to them as that, but that, that is what it is. Yeah. Is multi presenter slideshow. So if you and I were presenting jointly, but apart from each other, and the presentation was shared between us and iCloud, you and I could pass presentation control between the two of us. So if I did a section on the Mac and then I handed it over to you to do a section on saxophones, we could do that as opposed oh, yeah. to you saying, okay, advance the slide. Okay, advance the slide. An- another really cool remote feature. No, I agree. And again, it just makes complete sense given where the world is. And um, I am looking forward to using this. I have had opportunities where this would have made sense in the past, and I'm sure I'll have them in the future. I'm glad to see them adding features that that really make sense. You know, I mean, it'd be easy enough to add a few animations, but but this is the kind of stuff that um, I think is most helpful right now. Yeah, and it, it modernizes Keynote, I think, in a, in a fun way. And these will be useful well after the pandemic. So I, yeah. I, I really like these two features. That said, I still would have liked a few more animations. And um, when we did the show, I talked about artificial intelligence mm-hmm. um, to, to critique your slides. And we didn't get that yet, but, you know, hopefully someday. Uh, next up is Numbers. Uh, there is a new chart type called Radar, which you can look at in the show notes. It has We have examples in the links. And if you have basically multiple data sets with uh, similarities, it will it'll like highlight the overlapping areas, which I, I was trying to think, like, I don't know if I have any data like in what I do day to day that would benefit from this, but somebody out there just said, like, thank goodness, you know, and started yeah. clapping. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but the big headline feature, if you know what they actually do, uh, I'm not sure that I actually understand them, is support for pivot tables has been added to numbers, which has always been like the the thing people say about Excel. I'm sure we even said it on the show. If you work this way or need these tools, pivot tables are now in numbers. Yeah. I, I don't know if you, when you read the Steve Jobs book, you remember there was a bit in there about how like, it was like the spouse of a friend who worked for Microsoft who every time he saw Steve Jobs would brag about Microsoft's tablet stuff. And after he'd done this two or three times, Jobs went back to Apple and said, you know what, guys, let's just make a tablet. I just we just got to make a tablet now because the guy had bugged him so much. I feel like the the pivot tables is the tablet of spreadsheets that the the poor numbers team has been hearing people like you and me talk about pivot tables forever. And now they've implemented it and they're going to find out that like 0.02% of the people actually use them. But hey, they're there mm-hmm. now. So you got them. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's about having the feature, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, on numbers, before we move on to the changes to pages, uh, just as part of the feedback, we got a, an email from Bill and he was talking about, um, he's a, a ardent user of Excel, you know, with hundreds of spreadsheets and, he listened to our show and said, well, you know, let me see if I can try numbers out. And he was talking about how it actually got easier for him. One of the tasks he does, he was able to reduce um, to just six steps where it was much longer. He created shortcuts to address numbers and he likes the way it's working on mobile. So, you know, even like dyed in the wool Excel users can find uses for numbers. And 
you know, I stand by what we said then. It's not necessarily a replacement for Excel if you're using the power features, but now it's got pivot tables. You know, they're, they're just slowly kind of creeping into that area. And I think the, I really think the numbers team idea was, look, we're not going to do 100% of what Excel does, but we're going to do like, you know, you can debate the percentage, say 80% of it. And we're going to make it really easy to use and really pretty. And if you can fall on 80%, you're going to be happy with numbers. But maybe the percentage is higher. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of people, I'm not saying this was applicable to Bill, but I think a lot of people look at iWork and just assume it can't do something they need because maybe because it's free, maybe because it's kind of like a toy version of Office in their minds. But I think it's to Apple's credit that they've really kept their foot on the gas with this stuff and and have made it where where more and more people have more and more of their needs met. Yeah, I've met several of the developers on the iWork team over the years, um, just at various Apple events and whatnot. And that team is, those those people are all in on iWork. I mean, they want to make it amazing and uh, they're putting a lot of effort into it. I mean, I know it's it's not sexy to talk about word processors anymore, but... <laughs> But it's good to know there's a team inside Apple that that is very passionate about it. Yeah. Uh, lastly, we have pages. And I think this is a super cool feature. It is uh, a tool called Screen View. And you can enable it in the, in the Mac version of pages. And it will reflow your document to make it easier to read on narrow screens like phones. So it's kind of like re- responsive web design, right? Like you go to either of our websites on desktop and you go on your iPhone, it's laid out differently to make it easier to, to read. And you can now use that sort of tool within pages. Apple says that more people read pages documents on their iPhone than on any other device. And, you know, eight and a half by 11 <laughs> sheets of paper, like that's kind of a, an old school way of thinking about these documents. And so now if you're, uh, if your document works for this, you can turn it on and off uh, and you can turn it on and off at any time. You can now enable this and people who read it on their phones, you know, you email it to them or it's shared with them somehow. They'll have a better experience on their end. Yeah. And, and Microsoft Word has had a feature like this on their mobile platform for years. Uh, but I do, you know, using them both now, I, I really like the design aesthetic of how Apple has done it. Um no surprise that Apple does it with a little bit more panache. And um, I think it, it looks great, and uh, I will be using it. I, as we just said in that show, I, I use pages for legal work all the time. Yeah. And it's um, it's nice being able to re, you know review this stuff you know on your phone, because I didn't even try before. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you're trying to read like a contract, and it's yeah. super tiny text because it's spanning your phone and you know uh, not a good situation so uh, i'd like to to hear from you once you get some time with this because i think it could be really interesting well i'm not going to be writing documents in screen view i'm going to be proofing them you know um, yeah yeah I but like if you, you send it to somebody oh, i guess you don't really yeah. send pages documents but it, it is pretty cool yeah i do send pages documents to clients um so yeah the, uh, you're right i i'll, I'll report back okay but, uh, nice updates and and you know, uh, gold star to whoever made the new icons. Indeed, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> this episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. 
Get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash MPU. No successful entrepreneur is an island. It takes a core team of trusted advisors to help build a business from the ground up. When it comes to hiring, leave it to the experts. You need Indeed. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible. Simply because you can do it all, attract, interview, and hire, all at Indeed. You don't want to struggle on your own to find quality candidates. You don't have to. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes match your job description, and you can even invite them to apply right away. Indeed really does make the hiring process so easy. By having all the tools in one place, it takes away so much of what can otherwise be a daunting process. Indeed's data shows that with Instant Match, 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post. And candidates are three times more likely to apply than those who just see it in a search. So get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash MPU. That's a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash MPU. One last time, Indeed.com slash MPU. This offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power Users. Okay, so let's get into some listener feedback. Uh, do we want to start with file management and tagging on the iPad? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> there's a there's a thread on the forums. We'll go ahead and put it in the show notes where um, I get taken to task for not being fair to... Um, to linking and, and tagging on mobile devices. And I, I get it. I mean, Apple has tags um, on the iPad. And, and, and I think the key term was uh, David asserts several times that while it's possible to tag an iPad, it is harder, but he never explains how. So this is, this is how. If you go to apply a tag on the iPad, there is no search bar. On the Mac, you can search. And so let's say you've got 200 tags. Let's say you have a tag for every one of your clients, right? Um, on the Mac, it's a very simple matter of typing a couple letters and clicking a box or selecting with your mouse and hitting enter. So you can filter the results when you open the tag search bar. On the iPad, there is no search bar. And I don't know why. I don't understand. There was one originally in the first implementation of tagging. And then two or three years ago, maybe four years ago, they took it out. I remember vividly sitting at a uh, coffee bar with Federico Vitici during the beta process. And him and I both agreeing that it was just an oversight. And surely by the time, you know, iOS 12 released, it would be in there. And it wasn't. And it still isn't. So what happens is you go to apply a tag to a file and if you've got a lot of tags, you've got to scroll through the list to get to the tag you want. But if you have hundreds of them, that's a long scroll. So first you've got to scroll and then you've got to like slow it down and get to the one you want and select that. And then mm -hmm. the next problem is the, the process of scrolling on the iPad requires you to 
tap the screen and flick your finger up. But if you tap and lift your finger a little bit too early before it flicks up, then it the the UI thinks you just picked that tag. But this is during the process of scrolling. So the tags are basically unreadable flying up the screen and you just added a tag and you don't know which one you added. So then you've got to exit that process, go back to the file, remove that tag, and then start over again. And this is why I feel like tagging is not good on mobile. Um, Now, there are third-party apps where you can create custom shortcuts to apply tags via shortcut, but it's not the built-in shortcuts. You've got to use them. Uh, I forget which one it is, but it's one of the, I think it's Shortcuts Toolbox or one of them, you know, where you can do this. Um, But I just, I would just argue that until they make a system where you can apply tags, filter through them and select them without having to scroll through an endless list, it's not as useful. Now I get it. If you only have five tags, then it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. But if like I was trying to use them uh, throughout my practice, like a tag for each client, and then I was going to say, well, then I'll put tags for different types of documents. If it's a, uh, you know, if it's a contract, it gets one tag. If it's a, legal complaint, it gets a different tag. So I I was thinking I could use that to filter through my documents and say, give me all the complaints on behalf of this client. But um, trying to do that on iPad is just, it was just making me crazy. So that's kind of the long version of the story. Um, You can get around it with shortcuts. And honestly, um, I just don't do that much file management on iPad anymore. And, and that's another thread, I think, in the forums about me giving up on the iPad. I haven't given up on the iPad. I just want to say that again. I love the iPad. I use it every day. I, I proofread contracts on it. I manage email. There's a whole bunch of stuff I do with the iPad. But the file management tools just aren't there for me. And now that we have these laptops that go all day with Apple Silicon, um, I just find it easier to pick up a laptop mm-hmm. than I need to do file management. So I... I don't want to sound defensive because I, I don't mean it that way, but just, you know, I'm telling you what works and what doesn't work. And right now applying tags on, on mobile doesn't work for me. And I've talked to people at Apple about this. I filed radars. I've done the whole thing, but I, I really think Apple's take is, you know, me being someone who wants to apply 300 different tags. I am an outlier and that is not a problem they're going to worry about right now. The thing to me, like, it seems like such a, <laughs> the non-developers getting ready to say, it seems like a simple fix. Like, just stick a search box at the top of that list and let you, you know, type and narrow down what you want. I mean, clearly, they just didn't expect people to use that many tags, which is silly because tags are infinitely flexible. Yeah, I mean, because, like, why wouldn't you want to have a tag for every client, yeah. you know? But, you know, that that's just kind of, me right and uh, so i i made it more difficult for myself but then <laughs> i kind of found ways around it and i would not be surprised that one day out of the blue there'll be an update and they'll add that search bar back but i i, I honestly don't understand how that got taken out and never put back you know <laughs> yeah uh, we got an email from listener randall uh wanting us uh, to talk about the environmental cost of technology. You know, uh, he wrote, and and I agree with that we all have a share in fixing, you know, the environmental mess that we uh, have created. As we record this, there's like an environmental thing going on close to you at the beach, which is scary. I saw on the news this morning. Um, 
And uh, Randall, you know, asked maybe some steps that we could think about, about taking and sharing. And I've got quite a few here. I think, you know, for the most part, those of us who are kind of in technology, right? Like people who listen to podcasts, like what Relay FM produces or follow Apple or Microsoft or Google closely, like we all know that, you know, we should recycle our devices at the end of their useful life by handing them down or training them into a company. But I think the biggest thing and thing about what I can do is edu- helping educate my friends and family about those options as well, because I mean, I know what to do with an old iPhone, right? Like I know that I can recycle it through Apple. Uh, I know that the the county I live in has a couple of electronic recycling days a year where you can go and drop things off. They sh- it's usually at, like the local university or something, and they make sure they're recycled appropriately. I know not to just like throw a broken iPad in the garbage, uh, but I don't know if everybody actually knows that. And so I think educating friends and family for me is like the number one thing of telling people that there are these options when a device is at the end of its life. Yeah. I mean, the, let's state the problem first. And that's that this e-waste is a problem, yes. you know, throwing away circuit boards or even cable is not good for the environment. And it's a, a huge problem. And, um, you know, the first world is dumping a lot of this on the third world and it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's terrible. And, and I think the second piece of this is everybody listening to the show can do a lot in their own little ecosystem to help solve this problem. Uh, I mean, the fact that you buy Apple devices is really helpful because Apple will take any of their devices back and recycle them. I talked recently or several times on the show about my wife's aging MacBook Pro, you know, the 10-year-old MacBook Pro that was just barely getting by. And um, I got her a new um, Apple Silicon M1. And now that we're sure she's got all her files off it and she's happy, I took it into the Apple store and I just gave it to them. And they're happy to take it and you know it will be responsibly recycled. Now, if I had thrown that in a trash, I would have been adding to the problem. So with your own stuff, be responsible. But I think Stephen makes a great point about friends and family. They don't know that. Talk to them. Yeah. You know, when I gave a, um, an old iMac to my mother-in-law, I told her when you're done with it, give it back to me and I'll take care of it. And that's what she did. You know, Mm -hmm. she got a laptop. Eventually I picked up the iMac. I took it to Apple. It was like the white plastic one. You know, this is, yeah, they took it, you know, they didn't, they're like, sure, we'll take care of it. You know, and you know, they will. I mean, we, we skipped over the obvious solution is that everyone should just start an Apple hardware collection and never get rid of anything. Oh, yeah, that would work, too. (laughs) (laughs) That makes it your kid's problem when you're gone, I guess. Yeah, Uh, I guess. (laughs) But but another point you make, though, that it doesn't, what about all the non-Apple stuff? And we all buy, you know, electronic gear that is non-Apple. Yeah. And uh, for me, that just took one, you know, Google search. And I just typed e-waste Orange County, California. And there are like three drop-off locations where I live where you can go anytime and they'll take it. And whether it's an old TV, I, I even like, you know, all those USB cables you get every time you buy something, the micro USB cables, everybody's mm-hmm. got like 30 of them. Yeah. Um, I understand that is, that is a, a type of e-waste that needs to be dealt with because of all the wire inside of them. So I save all of that stuff and I just have a box in my garage. I dump stuff in and then two or three times a year, I put it in the car and 
I go and I drop off the e-waste. And every time I do it, I go to round table pizza at the end. I have a pizza, you know, kind of reward myself for going to the e-waste place. But yeah, I like it. You, you can do that. I mean, this stuff, wherever you live, there are solutions for you. And the problem is the easy solution is just to throw it in the trash or even throw it into your recycle bin. That's the other thing. A lot of communities in America have recycle bins that you get. And you people just throw like e-waste in there thinking, well, that's good enough. No, it's not. Because the the recycle place is is equipped for like newspaper. It's not equipped for e-waste. So they don't that just causes a problem. They end up throwing it away in there. And so you, you yep. just gotta be responsible on this stuff. That's all. Yeah, that's that's all uh that's all well said. And I think, yeah, I think it just a little bit of time will help you find good good local options. Uh like I said here in Shelby County, we have a couple times a year where you can drop stuff off. My problem is uh, I always want to like, you got anything like cool Max in there somewhere? And they'll never yeah. let me pick through stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, but you know, that's a, that's a Stephen problem. That's yeah, that is definitely problem. a Stephen problem. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, sir, sir, get out of the pile of e-waste. <laughs> yeah. He's like, but it's a Mac SE. <laughs> yeah. Got to save it. Uh, I can save it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm recycle it at home. Came to me. Yeah, no, I I agree. But I I do think everybody listening to this, you could make a pledge to yourself that you are going to have zero e-waste in your life. And that is something you can do because nobody buys that much electronic gear that they can't keep track of, you know, what Mm -hmm. they do with the old stuff. And Apple, you know, that's one thing Apple does really well. If you have Apple stuff, bring it in. And and have you seen those videos with the robots that, that take apart the iPhones? Yeah. I think one of them is named Daisy. One of them is named after my wife, I think. Yeah, they've had a couple of generations of it. Yeah. I think Liam was first, and then they took Liam apart to make Daisy. Or it was. Yeah. It, one of their press releases was kind of dark. It's like, wait, what? Did a one robot recycle the other? But that's the way it goes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, but either way, you know, Apple will take that stuff. But there's also other solutions for you. And um, like, you know, those... Uh, those uh, like you know the the Dell PCs that last like three years. I mean, you got to get those to a proper e waste. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. Dell will take them back too. Maybe they're they're woke on that as well. I don't know. But the um, either way, uh, gang, keep this in mind. And and I really want to just put a point on Stevens uh, Stevens statement about friends and family because I think a lot of us have friends and family that buy electronic gear that just aren't aware of the problem, and they'd be happy to. Or even tell them you'll throw their e-waste for, away for them. You know, just once a year, yeah. drive around to your friends, pick up all the e-waste. Maybe there's a Mac SE in there, send it to Steven, and then take all the rest of the stuff to the e-waste farm. Perfect. You'll feel good. We got a, a feedback from Martin about our networking episode a while back, talking about cable routing. You want to talk us through this? Yeah, uh, Martin reports, while listening to your home networking episode, I recalled a little glitch I had one time. I was running a long Cat 6 cable to my desk, detouring through several floors and closets. When it was all in place, I was doing a quick test to see that worked before trimming the cables the length needed. The speed I got was atrocious, like in the one megabit range. He looked into it, he looked at the excess cable, and... uh, and then uh, he started kind of getting to the bottom of what the problem was. So he chopped the cable the intended length and fixed a new connector. And suddenly he was running uh, fast again. And the problem was that he had some wrapped around a drum. You know how the cable's wrapped around the drum. Mm-hmm. And um, 
so don't leave extra cable lying around looped into a tight bundle, especially if it's unshielded cable, because the different loops will talk to each other and that's going to screw up your speed. You know, I, I think the real takeaway is to make your own cable. It's kind of empowering, right? You buy the little tool, you crimp the end on, it's not that hard. And, um, and you always have runs that are perfect length. Yeah. When I have done my cabling, it's all just with a box of cable and I put my own, my own ends on it. It's, it's actually really easy to do and the tools are inexpensive. You can just get them at your local hardware store. Uh, I think, I think what, what Martin says though, is, is definitely right. That uh, I do prefer to have a little extra cable, but have it in a, um, in a sort of a loose bundle because any type of cable, especially audio cable is real bad about this is having those tight loops can create interference. And so if you do, you know, run a cable and you're not getting the speed you expect, um, the first thing to do is to check the connectors. Uh, that nine times out of 10 is that, you know, in, in my experience when I've run cable is, Oh, I just botched one of the connectors. Right. So I take it apart and put it back together. Uh, but it can also be interference like this. And, uh, it's a good thing to look out for. Again, I like to leave a little slack because I may, you know, something may happen and I need to move something in the future, but you don't need a hundred feet wrapped as tightly as you can, you know, zip tied together in your attic because that's probably going to cause problems. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that'd be frustrating to lay all that cable and then have it at one gigabyte and not know why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, keynote. We'll come back to keynote real quick. Connor wrote in, uh, we talked about, you know, keynote in the iWork episode. He said, I use keynote for my dissertation defense. And you may recall, by the way, in that episode, I had said that I love the burning animation, but could never find a use for it. Well, yeah. Connor did. Um, his final slide stayed on screen while the committee deliberated. After I was called back in the room and told that I passed and I, you know, he has a PhD now, he clicked next slide, causing a fire animation to burn all the slides down. <laughs> That's so good. That's the best use of a slide animation of all time. I, I love it. I think, it, I think if there was like a, you know, like a, a museum of amazing use of animation, this would have a treasured place. It's so good. So it, good. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And Connor proves once again that MPU has the best listeners mm-hmm. on the planet. <laughs> uh, Windows 365. I talked about this Windows 365. They gave me a trial account. I, I had it running for a couple months. Um, and this is that service where you can uh, run Windows uh, on your Mac. So, you know, we, we're all hearing about how, you know, Windows isn't working with these uh, Apple Silicon uh, Windows has a service now. You pay them a, a monthly fee, and there's a virtual machine out there on the internet somewhere running Windows, and you just plug in, and then your Mac turns into kind of like a dummy terminal to run it from. And uh, and Sean wrote in, uh, who has a lot of experience with these things. Uh, he pointed out that Amazon Web Services has a similar virtual client and uh, called AWS Workspaces. And he pointed out that the service is designed for business and multi-user corporate setups, but can also function for individual use that though it's designed, it's not designed or to be recommended use for gaming. Well, I looked into that, um, you know, for the gamers out there. Um, I did find there is a service called shadow 
which is another one of these, run a virtual PC out in the web, and it is specifically aimed at gaming. So I signed up for a month of that just to see how that would go. Mm-hmm. And um, it's great. You know, I the game I was running on it was the Star Wars. Um, it was a star. It's called Star Wars: The Old Republic. It's a online multi mass multi. <laughs> I'm not very good at these words. Uh, it's a massively multiplayer online role playing game. Um, and so you create a character and you run around and you play with other people all over the world. And it's not a, a new game and it's not the highest graphics, but I I cranked it up as high as it would go and it looked great. But I also realized that there's no room in my life for a massively multiplayer online role-playing game if I intend <laughs> to get my kids through college. So I, I disconnected it and, and canceled the shadow after a month, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised at how fast the graphics performance was. Yeah. But, but, you know, going back to Sean's thing, um, uh, that there are a lot of these services similar to windows 365 and you can go through and, and look at them at various price points. Like shadow was $29 a month. The Microsoft one went from anywhere from, I think, 30 or $20 up to like 150 AWS goes, looks like $7 to 70 So there's all these different ways you can scratch this itch. If you're interested in it, um, uh, according to Sean, you know, go check out AWS Web Services. If you want to do gaming, go check out Shadow. But uh, I think it's the moral of the story is that if you do want to run Windows on your fancy Apple Silicon Mac, just traditional Windows, uh, there are already solutions for you, as long as you've got a good internet connection. Yeah, that's really, I think, key no matter what service you end up with, is that you've got to have a good network connection, because if you don't, you're going to have lag in, in what you're doing. The computers themselves, the virtual PCs are all in data centers, right? So they've got a good connection and they're going to be fast, but it's dependent on your local connection wherever you are as to how that performance is going to be. And obviously that's even more important if you're doing gaming where any lag, you know, means you get owned by a 13 year old. Yeah. Well, I get owned by 13 year olds in any game I play anyway. I mean, I would too, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) You could give me the, you could give them, you know, you could give them the the spun up, you know, ethernet cable. So their connection's bad and they would still beat me. (laughs) So it doesn't matter. Uh, Parent tech support from Ryan. Uh, My mom passed away recently and she was the primary tech person. Yeah. At least in person with her and her, her dad. Sorry to hear about your mom, Ryan. But now he's got his dad, and his dad is used to using a Windows PC. And uh, his question is, you know, how do you get your parents off of aging technology like Windows PCs into something else? And um, he asked also as a follow-up question, do we ever, any of us use family-based mobile device management? So so let's start with the first question. Um, I would really consider with your dad, because having a Windows PC is a burden, I mean, because you've got to keep the antivirus stuff up to date and it's just not that great. I remember my mom in her later years, I set up a computer for her and I would drive over her house and spend all my time debugging and antivirusing her computer. And it was, it was dumb, you know, uh, now we have the iPad and I would recommend Ryan seriously consider the entry level iPad, you know, just the basic $329 iPad. And if your dad likes to type, maybe get him a cheap Bluetooth keyboard. But see, you know, Apple has a two-week return policy. Get one and go over your dad's house. 
and see if he can do what he needs to do on that. Like if you set up his email and he can get on the web, what else does he need? And sometimes you'll get somebody that has weird use cases. Like there was an older person in my family that wanted a particular program to print greeting cards, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of, I'm saying that because it just makes me exhausted thinking about it. But <laughs> that person, we had to get a special setup so that person could do those greeting cards. But most people that are just using um, a, a computer for basic web communication and browsing, even an older person, I think, could really appreciate an iPad because you can adjust the text to match their, you know, their vision is bad. You can make the text bigger for them, which they would really appreciate it. They can use it on their Barca lounger, you know, so they can sit there and watch TV and do it. Um, and for a support, as a support person, uh, you don't have the antivirus problems that you have with a traditional PC. Um, and, you know, it's just very easy to provide tech support to an iPad as opposed to a, a traditional PC. And it's cheaper. I mean, 329 bucks. It's, I don't know that you can get a better deal than that. Uh, what do you think? I, I agree. When I saw this email, that's, that's the first thing I thought that as long as he doesn't have anything that's Windows specific, then an iPad would be uh, a great, a great option. You know, I, I think what's nice about it is, um, and I think one thing that like, you know, my parents aren't in this situation. Um, but, like my dad has moved completely to an iPad from a from a Windows laptop and he what he discovered is he loves the portability of it. So you may also yeah. have some like nice side effects of moving to an iPad that aren't just about the tech. You know, he likes that he can use it outside or take it with him really easily. And so I think this is the 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 way to explore. Yeah, and Ryan, if I'm assuming Ryan is also all in with the Apple ecosystem, he's writing to us. Um, if there are grandchildren involved, you know, set up a widget for the photos app on the home screen and start taking pictures of the grandkids and get into where your dad can see those just by turning it on. You know, I mean, get some of the advantages of the Apple ecosystem onto it. And, um, and you may be surprised. I I would have loved to have something because my mom died 10 years ago now and they just weren't there yet, but I would have loved to have the photo sharing stuff. Cause my mom, all she wanted to do was look at pictures of my kids and my sister's kids, you know, and it was so yeah. hard to get them to her back then. And now it's so easy. I would have loved to have been able to do something like this for her. Uh, second question though, he asked was to use any family centric mobile device management. I do not. Yeah. Um, me neither. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you have an iPad, if you have an iPad, you can kind of do it remotely without having to get a specialized service. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I run my situation different in my house, so I've got young kids, right? So I have a lot of the the restrictions set, which which I'm just doing with the built-in tools in iPadOS, and, and that they have uh, they've met my needs. But uh, I don't know. I haven't really even looked into this, and so uh, maybe maybe that's something out there I'm just not aware of. But really, the iPad is so self-sufficient, and you can do things like auto enable the uh, software updates for the OS. You can auto, uh, you can enable auto updates for applications. Like I don't see there being much stuff you need to do through an MDM that you can't do just built in now. Yeah. Especially if we're just one person. Yeah. This episode of Mac power users is brought to you by hello. 
Hello make incredibly comfortable buckwheat pillows. I don't know if you've ever tried a buckwheat pillow, but it's pretty different than regular fluffy pillows because they support your head and neck. They don't collapse under the weight of your head. They stay cool and dry compared to feather or foam pillows, and they breathe better. So you don't have to flip to the cool side. It's always cool. Plus, and this is my favorite thing, you can add or remove filling to suit your needs so your pillow can be just the way that you like it. People have been sleeping on buckwheat pillows for years. They're popular in places like Japan, and they appear on pillow menus at fancy hotels. Hello is made in the USA with quality construction and materials. The certified organic cotton case is cut and sewn for durability, and the buckwheat is grown and milled in the United States. Everything about Hello is high quality, and I really do love that I can adjust the height just to be perfect. So you're probably curious to try one. You can. You can sleep on it for 60 nights, and then if Hello is not for you, you can send it back for a refund. Just go to hellopillow.com slash macpowerusers right now to get your own buckwheat pillow. That's hellopillow.com slash macpowerusers. And if you buy more than one, they have a special discount of up to $20 off depending on what size you're looking at. They have fast-free shipping with every order, and 1% of the profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. So give Hello a try. If you love it, keep it, and if you don't, send it back. Head to hellopillow.com slash macpowerusers now. Our thanks to Hello for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right, uh, we got some follow-up on the Devin Think show. One we got was from a mystery listener who had a couple questions we've got here. I'm sorry I didn't get your name. I forgot to get it out of the email. And now Apple Mail, after I bragged about it at the beginning of today's show, has beach balled on me. So there you go. Wow. It heard what you said. I have I have not had Apple Mail beach ball on me in forever. Oh, now it reloaded the second time. Hold on a second here. Maybe I can find it. David. David sent that in. Cool. Thank you, David. And David. Yeah. Both Davids. Anyway, uh, David wrote in. As somebody who's already using standard DevonThink licensing, he's wondering if it's worth it to spend the extra 100 bucks for the pro version. Uh, DevonThink uh, you know, has greatly simplified their licensing over the years, but now they've got this pro version. It's a hundred dollars more. And, um, w- you know, why is it that you guys got the pro mode? Um, for me, it is 100% the OCR because yes. for the extra hundred bucks, you get OCR on the Abbey engine that does OCR and everything in your library, which enables automation searching. And just a lot of the power of Devon think comes with that OCR. Yeah, I think that uh, the DevonLink website's actually kind of confusing about what's in standard versus pro, but that's, I guess, that is what it is. But yeah, OCR is the reason that I went to pro. Uh, on the additions webpage, I've got a link in the show notes. It has everything that pro adds. So you also get email archiving, the concordance, which we spoke about last time, yeah. uh, custom m- metadata, form view. So you get a lot of features, but for me, the OCR is like absolutely critical to the way that I use Devon think. And so it was, it was a no brainer. And what's cool about it is you can upgrade just in the application. There's a licensing menu item called purchase or upgrade in the Devon think menu. And so you can do it from within the app. And, uh, I think it's well worth it, especially if you have a lot of PDFs, you know? Yeah. 
And and my field guide was based on the pro version because a lot of those features in there, like concordance yeah. and grouping items, that's stuff that you want to do. So I, I based it on that version. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some videos in the field guide on the server edition. And uh, that one I did not pay for. The Devon Think guys gave me a, a license to test that out with for the field guide. But that's that one's quite a bit more. That goes from $200 to $500. But with a server edition, you can literally remote serve your data. So, like, I could have my virtual assistant tap into my Dev and Think data from afar using the server edition. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's a server edition. Um, but the uh, not everybody's going to need that. That's kind of a unique um, feature set. But if you want it, they have that too. But to answer David's question, it's it's all about the OCR. I think Dev and Think with that powerful OCR is way better than dev and think without it yeah the, the, the server version i'm glad i'm glad you brought that up i i definitely don't have a need for that yeah uh, i don't have team members who like need to hit my dev and think to hit a base on the web yeah but i do think it's one of those features that really sets dev and think apart from some of those other those other uh applications that it competes with because it's not like, oh, I can, you know, export stuff out of my PKM and send it to you as a PDF or like craft, you get like a secret URL and you can load it. Like they have access to your whole database if that's how you have it set up. And or, no, no, or, I think, or limited parts. Or I mean, limited. You, e- yeah, either yeah. one. And yeah. I think that is, that's pretty cool if that's how you need to work. And uh, it is, it kind of stands alone in its field in that way. Yeah, I mean, it scales up. I mean, we had so many emails from listeners talking about and customers talking about how um, they have jumped out of Evernote with within the last couple months as this thing released and they got into Dev and Think and they realized this is a better solution for them. It really feels like, um, you know, there there are a lot of people out there that that were aware of the app but weren't really sure what to do with it and. I think the idea of a bank of data that you control and can scale up to something like a server edition, I think that's really attractive to a lot of people. And uh, I think Devon Think is going to be here for a long time to come. I uh, Another one we heard in from listener asking um, us to discuss our backups in the context of Devon Think. You know, backing up a database that contains files as opposed to something like Obsidian that exposes every file to Backblaze or Time Machine can be complex. Um, how are you backing up your Dev and Think library? So as I mentioned on that episode, I sync my databases with Dropbox, but the database itself sits in the databases folder in my home folder on my Mac. Yeah. yeah. And so that means that Time Machine gets it and Backblaze gets it and my clone gets it, et cetera. I don't ever like export the files out of Devon thing to like keep them backed up as files, because as we mentioned in that database package, you can drill down and get to all your PDFs. And so I'm just backing up sort of at the database level that way. So I'm not really doing anything special beyond what I would do for any other file on my disk. Yeah, me too. Agreed. Um, I do I occasionally export like projects out of data out of Devon think like maybe I finish a client project and I will, export all the relevant documents and files out of it into a folder and give it to the client. So they have like an archive on their end. Um, but I, in general, my backup is just to keep the databases on 
you know, in my user file and everything that else that gets backed up also has those DevonThink database backups. Yep. That's kind of the beauty of it just being files at the end of the day, right? Yeah. I had um, now heard from several listeners that are writing me about how they're backing up their like archive backups to SSD. And I'm like, will you guys please stop sending me those emails because they are not helping me at all. You know, it's so fast. I just don't, I can't, I can't afford an SSD for backup storage. I, I'm still using spinning disk, but it seems like every time we, it comes up on the show, somebody emails me and says, Oh, it's so much better. Dave, you should get an SSD. Yeah. Dave, they're cheaper now. Oh, come on guys. Stop doing this to me. Yeah. But like when your internal drive is four or eight terabytes, it gets tricky. Yeah. Uh, things we're playing with. I am playing with my iPhone 13 pro camera. Yeah. And, uh, I had a great time the other day. I, I took the morning off. I drove up to Disneyland and I hung out. Um, it was just by myself. Daisy wasn't with me that day. And I, I went in and took pictures of the castle and I spent most of the time in, in Batu in the star Wars area. And I tested out all of the features of the camera system. I made a, a about a 15 minute video. I don't remember how long it ended up being, but I put it up on YouTube and it's there so you can go watch it. And Boy, I really like those cameras in that new iPhone. Yeah, your video was great. And uh, your shot of the cinematic mode where you had like a drone in the foreground and one in the background and you were switching the focus between them, that may be the best example of that I've seen so far. Yeah, and what I thought for cinematic mode would also, also they're droids, by the way. I I can't let that go. Sorry, sorry. What did I say? Yeah drone oh, but the um my, my bad the it was interesting on cinematic mode because uh, there was another segment in the video where i was at a little like shop stall and there was a doll there you know and i was trying to get cinematic mode to focus on it but it kept trying to grab a different doll in the background and it just kind of reminded me how big the artificial intelligence element of this is the iphone really mm-hmm wants a face and at that moment a cast member saw what i was doing walked up to me and started talking to me so i switched the camera over to his face a human face and it just like locked on and that to me was like the selling moment of cinematic mode because i talked to him for like a minute and he looks great and it's in the focus stayed right on him the whole time it kept the background blurry there was separation and I know that, you know, there's a bunch of people making YouTube videos talking about all the things wrong with cinematic mode, but for most of us, it looks fine, you know, and I get that, you know, maybe your glasses are going to be blurry or the edge of your ear or something, but it does give you the effect that you want so long as you don't go crazy with it. And, um, and it's so much easier to carry an iPhone than a camera that actually has a heavy glass system to do that, you know, for real. Yeah, it all looked really good. I, you know, I, I really, you know, as we've talked about in some of the more power users episodes, I've been struggling to find a camera solution for the stuff Daisy and I are doing at Disneyland because I really don't want to bring my expensive camera there. I just know inevitably I'm going to end up knocking it off a table or doing something that makes me really sad. And, but I also do want some of that separation. And I, I feel like the combination of the pocket two camera and the iPhone now is going to be all I need. And, and that stuff literally fits in a jeans pocket. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention about that video is the stabilization. 
you know, because that's another thing I've learned a lot about as we've done this Disneyland field guide is how unstable a lot of very good cameras are when you go to shoot them. Even the, um, the Sony stuff, they have, um, uh, Sony now and some of the Sony cameras, they will collect the gimbal data, not gimbal, the, uh, what do you call that thing inside that tracks the, um, the X, Y, and Z. The, um, everyone listening is yelling at us. Yes. Yes. Gyroscope. called Gyroscopic data. Yeah. So it clicks the gyroscopic data and they have a thing called catalyst where it'll like try to um, stabilize the video and does a pretty good job. But all that stuff requires you to make the video smaller. And if you don't get, if you get too tight to begin with, it really gets a mess and it's an extra step. But um, the stability of the iPhone, just walking around without a gimbal is really remarkable. Yeah. And what's cool is the sensor shift capability that was just on the the max last year is now on all yeah. of them and so yeah. everyone gets much smoother video and you you can get longer exposures handheld in photo mode as well which is which is really nice so the more I, the more i kind of reflect on these phones the more excited i am that the pro and pro max got the same camera feature set and then the the mini and the 13 also did you know, they mirror yeah. each other. You shouldn't be penalized for wanting a smaller phone by having a worse camera. Yeah, but and the batteries have been great. I mean, I'm getting more battery life. Even though I went to a smaller phone this year, I went from the Pro Max to the Pro. I feel like my battery life is just as long with the Pro, except that morning I went to Disneyland, I destroyed that battery. Like, I got there at 8, and I left there at noon, and it was almost empty Ooh. because I was running around with the video camera on the whole time like you know uh, so i it was an unusual uh stress test for a uh, for a phone camera yeah but, but and then the other thing i was doing is i was screen capturing at the same time so a lot of this stuff is unstable because i wasn't actually shooting video i was shooting screen capture so people could see um the user interface on top of what i was doing but either way that was kind of fun i'm going to do some more of that um I, I got a bunch of email after that got published saying I should try a, a, a gimbal. I guess the DJI makes an iPhone gimbal and maybe I'll get one and, and do a separate video on that. But to tell you the truth, I just don't think it's necessary. It's fine. And I don't want to carry more stuff unless I really need to. Uh, while you were talking, I looked it up. Samsung does sell an eight terabyte SSD now. It's oh, uh thank you, Steve. 850 thank bucks. You. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's, you could buy okay. an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, kids, we could either eat this week or daddy could have a very fast backup. Yeah, that's expensive. <laughs> uh, but I didn't know they were up to eight terabytes, so way to go, Samsung. Yeah, well, that's cool, though. I mean, eventually that stuff is going to come down. Oh, yeah, it already has so far. I mean, it's just those higher yeah. capacities come later. Yeah, but I, I'm glad that you're still working on that for me. Yeah, you know, it's got a little tap. Keep tabs on that. Um for for me this month, I, so I had a challenge coming out of the podcastathon, our big live show for St. Jude, to use Android for three days. And uh, I have a Pixel Five A because my the Android phone that I, I I keep an Android phone around, and the one I had was several years old. I was like, well, I want a nice experience, and so I picked up the Five A. And I, you know, I I keep tabs on Android. Like Android Twelve is sort of rolling out. In fact, I think the review on the verge went up today. I think I saw that float by on Twitter, but I don't run it, you know, day to day. And so sometimes there are, uh, things that I sort of relearn, uh, as, yeah. as time goes on. And 
I got to say, I've been really impressed with the 5A. It's lightweight. The camera's really good. I mean, the Pixel lineup has is a great line of phones. And of course, it runs just standard Android with some with some googly stuff on top, but it's not like, you know, a OnePlus or something like that that has a really custom version of Android. And the the applications have definitely come they've come a long way. You know, I don't have everything that I would have on an iPhone obviously because something like Overcast for instance not on Android, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. my task manager and my, you know, Google Docs and, you know, a lot of stuff is there, Twitter, Instagram, Apple Music. And all that has really has really gotten pretty good. Um, I think the in the early days, uh, maybe even up till a few years ago, it was really easy to say that applications that were on Android and iOS, the Android versions often lacked a level of polish their iOS counterparts had. I think that's still true, but I think it's to a far lesser degree. If anything, cross-platform applications like Gmail and Todoist on iOS look more like their Android versions than vice versa, which is really interesting. Um, but it was, it was totally fine and it's fun to play in the other ecosystem. Some, it was really nice to have a USB C, uh, port on the phone, especially because obviously there's, there's not MagSafe, but I keep a USB C charger at my desk to charge my iPad or my laptop or anything while I'm at my desk. And I could just use that for the phone. And it was kind of nice not to deal with lightning. So, uh, all in all, it's like been the smoothest Android experimentation I've done ever, I think. Yeah, we had a sponsor uh, last year where I had to use an Android phone for a week just to kind of talk about what the sponsor's product was. And I um, I thought it was, you know, it's fine. I mean, the, it is not an inferior operating system. It's just different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's really a Google-focused operating system. So... And I'm not, I'm not like in on the Google stuff. Like you use Gmail, but I don't, and I don't use Google Photos. So like, if I used all the Google stuff, um, it would be tempting because I think they do a really good job at you know interfacing with their own products. But since I don't really use any of that stuff, I don't get any of the advantage of it. And and I am uh, just just paranoid enough to like Apple's privacy policy. Yeah. And um, and I'm, let's be honest, I'm not going anywhere. No, no, <laughs> me know? neither. But the, uh, uh. but the, uh, the, uh, but it, I, I do think that um, uh, Apple people are like, oh, Android, that's bad. No, it's not bad. It's good. I mean, they, they've done a great job on it. I will note that I, I do think the security stuff on there, from my outside perspective, seems like they're not quite as on the ball as Apple is. But the, um, but overall, it's a great platform. I think that uh, I think that does it for our our feedback. Yeah, covered a lot today. We sure did. I love feedback episodes, though. It, it's it's fun yeah, me to catch too. up. Yeah, it is. And I, I just like interacting with the listeners because, like I said, we got a lot of smart people. I Just to follow up on the flaming animation, I did find a use for it since we talked about it when I gave that presentation in Florida. Um, I There was a slide dealing with a bunch of really bad legal software, and I set it all on fire. But Perfect. That pales in comparison. To setting your dissertation oh, on fire. That's I mean, so good. Nothing better than that. Either way, uh, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Thank you to our sponsors today, 1Password, Indeed, and Hello. Uh, we'll see you next week.